Gold is going down, rates are going up, Bitcoin is doing absolutely nothing. We're gonna talk markets, we're gonna talk gold, we're gonna talk T Boone Pickens, we're gonna talk the Democratic debates, drilling asteroids, among other things. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 36 of Bizarro World. I just landed from the 2019 Beaver Creek Precious Metal Summit. And it is indeed a bizarro world. Nick, how are you, sir? Not as well-traveled as you this week, Gerardo. I stayed back in Spokane, so I'm excited to hear firsthand the details of uh, Beaver Creek, the great conference that it is with all the one-on-one meetings. And um, as listeners will soon know, we also sent a video crew with you to film a lot of interviews with companies that we feature on the website, resource.digest. So excited to hear how that went as well. Um, and other than that, I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I, I, I got off a plane about 45 minutes ago. I jumped in my car from the airport. I walked in the door about 15 minutes ago with coffee in hand and happy to be with you fine folks today. Um, let's talk Beaver Creek a little bit. It was really interesting because I got there on a Tuesday morning and the the mood was absolutely um, optimistic and jubilant. And, you know, we had above $1,500 gold. Um, it was similar on Wednesday. And then, of course, the last couple of days, um, we've had a little bit of a pullback. So there was cautious optimism towards the end. But the very, very clear trend is that the smartest and busiest companies amongst us are doing exactly what they are supposed to do, which is get their story out talk to everybody and raise some money so that they can take advantage of this new gold bull market. We'll talk technicals in just a little bit. I read your most recent newsletter um, and and I know you touched on the levels there, the support levels and how it wouldn't surprise you to see gold dip below 1400. If I read that correctly, I happen to agree with that sentiment. I've, I've said this for months that I thought we would overshoot to the 1550 level and if we didn't hit 1585, we were going to pull right back to, to 1400 and possibly just below that. But even at those levels, as you mentioned, in your newsletter, Nick, um, that's a very healthy, healthy gold price. So yeah, it's, um, I, 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 I kicked the tires on some new ideas. I'm excited to share the footage with everybody over the coming weeks. We'll make sure to get that out to you. A lot of good, interesting exploration plays, a lot of plays in my portfolio that frankly, if they don't get busy in the next two months, will become tax loss opportunities at a loss, of course, because the last three years have not been kind. But all in all, there was um, there was enthusiasm. There was capital looking to be allocated. There were institutions looking to invest. Um, in the words of Michael Hudson from Moss and Resources, when I asked him the same question, he said, we have a market and he was excited about it. So I think that um, captures the mood perfectly. We have a market. Uh, the second thing that's absolutely clear is that the equities aren't quite ready to celebrate um, with those of us that are recognizing that we are in a new gold bull market. That part hasn't happened yet. So that's an opportunity for us. For those of you that subscribe to this podcast, all 57 of you, hello, thank you. Um, Get your money's worth, right? This is a free podcast. Get your money's worth. All we can tell you is find newsletter writers that you trust and like. Um, That could be Mr. Hodge. That could be myself. That could be somebody like Brent Cook or Joe Mazumdar. 
pick one, pick two, pick three, compare ideas, but please start doing that and please start putting your list together because this time next year, you will be paying two, three, four times what you can pay for these pri- for these shares right now. That's, that's my brief take on it. Um, I have a couple of comments and then a question or two. So uh, first I heard you say it's the traditional beaten dog sentiment. I've been talking about this with you and, and other people in our circles about how even at 1450 gold, 1550 gold, when the price is up at six year highs and we've had, you know, a very strong summer and the producers are up, you know, have doubled since um, late last year. We still have this mentality where, you know, gold slips 20 or 30 bucks and, you know, we're looking down at our shoes again, where we're gazing down at the we're gazing down at the ground. We just can't hold our chin up because, you know, like a beaten dog, even though we don't have a bear market master anymore, we have a new bull market master. We don't trust that new master yet. And that's sort of the best analogy I can make. And then the second thing, I, another thing I heard you mention in there was tax loss. And that's very funny, too, because doesn't tax loss just seem to come earlier earlier every single year in fact the beaver creek conference is a week earlier than it was this year last year and then we were saying <laughs> we're already talking about tax loss and it's earlier and here we are a week earlier in the following year and we're talking about tax loss again it's 100 percent true i dumped some dogs this week in my in my sprout account and tax loss is certainly underway especially in the base metal sector which hasn't yet caught a bid and so i see people including myself saying hey let me rotate out of some some base metal stocks that aren't doing it for me that I might have been in for a while. Cash that out real quick. Use that as a tax loss against capital gains and see if I can reallocate that to companies that have gold companies, precious metals companies that have not only the trend in their favor, but perhaps some upcoming catalysts like the almonds of the world uh, that we talked about last week. And then the third thing I heard you mention is how equities are lagging. And that's 100% true as well. I had a chart in my newsletter this week showing that if you look at developers and explorers specifically, they're still down 77 to 87% from their previous cycle highs in, in 2011 when gold hit 1900 bucks. And they're still down 50 to 70% just from where they were a couple of years ago when we had that run in 2016. So despite prices, gold prices being at a six year high, the gold equities, in the developers and explorers category are still down 50 to 60% from where they were three years ago. So um, just some comments on what you said there and now some questions. Uh, I remember last year there was a great uh, panel with Joe Mazumdar and uh, Mr. Foster who runs the Van Eck funds. Like, I guess I wanted to know what were sort of some of those um, macro comments going on or were there any good macro talks and guests? You know, the, the, there there were actually a limited amount of panels this year. There were just two keynotes this year out of this entire um, conference. There was a an, an increased focus in maximizing time for one-on-one meetings, which, you know, I, I there's nothing wrong with it. I thoroughly enjoyed the conference. Um it, it, it accomplished a lot for those companies that are spending, you know, the ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollars that it costs to to be able to participate. I can absolutely see the value in scaling back the panels and um, increasing the time allowed for companies to meet potential investors and institutions, right? And so there, there wasn't as much of that. I'll say this. The most insightful comment that I heard was probably um, from Brent Cook of Exploration Insights. Brent was being interviewed by Kitco and, you know, they asked him whether or not 
um, there, there, there was a lack of gold deposit, uh, gold deposits out there. He said, no, there's not a lack of gold deposits out there. There's a lack of gold deposits that are economic. There's a lack of quality gold deposits. Um, and it seems, you know, like a captain obvious type statement, but there's so much truth in that, right? There's not a lack of gold. There's a lack of quality gold deposits, which brings me to my next comment. Um, I'm going to give you the stock of the week right off the top, everybody. I'm going to keep it really simple for you guys. I had a great conversation and interview with Midas Gold CEO, Stephen Quinn, you know, and we're sitting there talking, say, Stephen, you know, we got $1,500 gold. You have 30 meetings today. You have 30 meetings tomorrow. Schedule's jam-packed. You got to be feeling good. You're sitting here with 6.6 million ounces. Some of the smarter analysts amongst us think there could be as many as 20 million ounces on that property. Um, you have bipartisan support in Idaho. It looks like your permit will be coming through here within the next 12 months or so. Um, you got to be feeling upbeat. And he looked at me and he said, well, yeah, Gerardo, I am feeling upbeat about all of those things. The one thing I'm not feeling upbeat about is that I'm trading at the exact same level as I was trading last year. You know, and I, 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 I looked at it and I said, you know what? You are not wrong. You are not wrong, Stephen, but it's going to turn around. So I say all that to say, you can buy Midas today with 1487 gold and the 6.6 .6 million ounces it has closer to a what we think is going to be a favorable permitting decision at the same price that you could buy Midas gold a year ago when it needed capital. Prices were stuck in the dumps. Gold prices were stuck in the dumps and everybody was just crying to each other. That's kind of the market that we have. If you're able to recognize those quality gold deposits that Brett mentioned, um, you're going to be able to do very, very, very well. I did get the opportunity to chat with Mr. Joe Foster, who, of course, uh, runs the Van Eck Fund. And, and, you know, he is he is um, jubilant is the word. He had a spring in his step and he said, hey, he actually pointed me out. I was sitting there listening to a to a company presentation. He goes when, when it was over, he says, Gerardo, I bet your business is picking up finally. I said, yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to have a good business during the bear market, but you're absolutely right, Mr. Foster. How are things for you? And he said, you know, the inflows aren't coming in yet, but the calls are picking up every day more and more. He said, so yeah, we, we th this is a real gold bull market. You know, Mr. Foster has seen five decades of these cycles, right, of these markets. And when he is happy and he tells me, that yeah 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 the calls are picking up the money is coming it isn't in yet it hasn't been allocated yet um that's encouraging to me especially in light of the fact that again we're sitting damn near 1500 gold and everybody's upset <laughs> that we're at 1487 i love it if 1400 is the new floor hey man let's just look at where we were six months ago and let's count let's count our let's count our blessings right that's right. You mentioned institutions numerous times there, and that's sort of where everybody's eye has turned to now. Um, there was a metal investors forum the week before Beaver Creek this week, and I listened to a talk by Joe Mazumdar, and he was talking about how, um, you know, the trade war had driven some money into gold because people were unsure about the market. But as China and Trump go back to the table and as they start delaying tariffs that, um, you know, equities will start to rise again and gold won't be as much of a safe haven as it's been over the past whatever two or three months and he was 100 percent correct look what happened just this week where we're talking about delaying tariffs surprise surprise because of the pork that two gentlemen have been talking about like mm. starting like three or four months ago right mm. china had to ease the tariffs on the american pork because a third of their pig dies has a third of their pigs have died. Do you remember when we talked about that on this podcast? Who told you first, and, America? Nick fucking Hodge told you first. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Pound your chest, Nick. Damn it, nobody no, was talking okay. about the pigs dying. You were. I, 
I try sometimes. Anyway, so what we need is the institutions, right? Because um, sure, gold is a safe haven trade, but the bigger thing is bigger than the pigs, of course. It's the interest rates. And we just saw Europe cut again this week to negative 0.5%, and they turned their bond buying back on. And I don't want to get into that euro discussion yet because I think there's more from Beaver Creek. But one of the things I was hearing was that there was supposed to be more institutional attendance in Beaver Creek. And so, like you say, you got more people calling. You got more people going to the conferences, and now we're just waiting for them to, to actually pull the, the trigger and buy. And I have to imagine, given the, the, the reports I was reading this week coming out of Europe where Draghi was outright saying, like, we're about done, folks. These, these individual economies are going to have to do it themselves. It seems like it's not that far off. There comes a point where the 75-year-old wealthy gentleman with a great sense of humor is no longer able to keep the 25-year-old beautiful woman along his side satisfied with just that sense of humor and money. That's Europe right now. That's the ECB. <laughs> That's Mario Draghi. He understands. And, 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 and let's be clear. He's only tapping out and saying, hey, you can date someone else, Europe, because he's leaving, right? Um, mm -hmm. Christine Lagarde is coming in next month. And so he's saying, hey, babe, you're next. Um, you figure it out. Um, that's where we're at. Europe is toast. It's, um, they can prolong it for a little bit. You know, I talked about that a few months ago. Frankly, I've been talking about it for a couple of years. Um, that, that, that there That's is, right. yeah, there is no way for rates to go, but lower. There is no other way that, that, that those things can, can, can manifest themselves because of the debt situation and the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's about to be chaos, everybody. I don't real know if everybody realizes this, but even in the, the, the little bit amount of time that I had at Beaver Creek to check on world news, it was very clear that, you know, big economies, Germany, Italy, the biggest economies in the Eurozone were not happy about the new stimulus. They were not happy about the bazooka. They were not happy that the 75-year-old gentleman is letting the, letting the 25-year-old date just to keep her nearby and satisfied, right? And so this is the beginning of what I think is that bond implosion and the destruction of the euro that I've been talking about for a couple of years. Um, this is how it happens, right? When the largest economies, the most productive economies in the euro zone are starting to argue openly with the head of the ECB and you have a new incoming president. Um, we're in for some fireworks, which, you know, to tie it all in is why I believe that interest rates rising here in the U.S. and elsewhere this week um, is a blip. I don't think it's sustainable. I think it's common sense. You know, I, I, I read a story and, and we'll put a link up. It said this was the worst week for mortgage rates in three years, right? And so when you when you read that, you say, "Oh wow, it's 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 the worst week for mortgage rates in three years." And then you realize that you know this is on the back of like the best week in three years, right? So it's 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 the volatility. What I'm trying to explain to you all is that the volatility is going to ramp up. Um, you're going to see hundred and two hundred dollar moves in the gold price up and down, mostly up, starting in October. Um, that's going to be the new norm. So get ready for it. And again, for those that aren't uh, convinced that we're in a new gold bull market, let's talk at the end of October. So I want to jump back to Stephen Quinn because Midas is a company I have uh, an interest in as a Stock investor. Stock of the week, as, Midas Gold. <laughs> as, as a shareholder, as a newsletter writer. And I share some of the same concerns. And to some extent, uh, there's a couple of things that are out of the companies in Stephen's hands. One is the... Uh, the timeline of the Forest Service, which seems to keep uh, getting pushed back and on which I think we're supposed to have an update on by like this month or next month. And the second thing is the frivolous lawsuit by the Nez Perce tribe, which is 
suing them for something uh, that Midas could not ever be held accountable for because they've never operated there. And so um, we talked about that when it was announced and how Midas stock went up simply because there was a gold stock in the news. We were, you know, it was a... Uh, the start of a new gold bull market, but step back and, and Stephen's right. The stock is trading where it was. So, so what did he have to say? What was your what was your conversation like? What is Midas Gold doing? Midas Gold is doing everything it's supposed to do. I won't put words in Stephen's mouth in regards to the lawsuit. What I will say, and this is coming from Gerardo, not from Stephen, is the lawsuit is laughable. Um, it, it, it has zero chance of doing anything but delegitimizing um, the group that it went ahead and filed it because of the fact that they've had some credible beefs in the past with other with other situations. This is not one of them. Um, I did not get the sense at all from Mr. Quinn that this is something that is going to have any kind of legs, but they're taking all the steps that they're supposed to take and acting accordingly to make sure that they vigorously do two things. One defend Midas Gold in this lawsuit and two at the same time articulate that all they're trying to do is clean up the fucking mess that they didn't make <laughs> that this is that this is all Midas Gold is trying to do we talked about it in our interview um and 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 you know he he explained as much and and we'll be happy to share that with you all here in the next coming weeks but yeah I I, I think Midas Gold is an absolute steal at these levels and I think everything is moving along well on the permitting front. He, he's not happy with the delays, but it's not a situation that's exclusive to Midas. And so we wait. We wait. And frankly, if it takes another couple of months for the stock to uh, get revalued, that gives me another couple of months to add to my position. I'm happy to do so at these levels. So not to be a Debbie Downer, but the only problem with it being a steal is the very fact that it's a steal. Same for Almaden, right? Where um, heaven forbid somebody else comes in and tries to get these projects at a price that, you know, those of us that have been around for a long time don't want to see simply because as a function of the bear market, the they're prices tr they're, they're trying, are, Nick. They're trying. Are don't, much don't, don't tell it. Don't tell anybody. They're trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the worst. The, yeah, the, the barracks and the Agnicos of the world looking for those scant economic gold deposits that you mentioned at the beginning. Yes, yes. I, 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 all jokes aside, I, I, I have voiced those concerns as a shareholder. And, you know, the responses that I got, again, without putting words in Almaden Mineral CEO Morgan Poliquin's mouth or Midas Gold CEO Stephen Quinn's mouth, you know, they are both very, very aware of the fact that both projects have a robust resource that is highly leveraged to a higher gold price. Price. In Almaden's case, also a higher silver price. That, of course, cuts both ways, but they both believe that a better market is here. And in any negotiation, I've been assured um, that they will do everything to defend shareholder integrity when it comes to the quality of not just the current deposit that's there, but the exploration upside at both projects, which is substantial. And another reason why the shareholder base and structure matters Absolutely. When you can call five of your major shareholders and have 45 to 50% of any vote, that's a lot of leverage in a negotiation. And guess what? That's a lot of leverage when you're negotiating what the price is going to be if you do decide to sell, right? And believe you me, the time to come in and do the hostile takeover for Midas and Almaden was when gold was sitting at 1300 and silver was sitting at 15 bucks, 1450 and it didn't seem like that was ever going to change. I think everybody is well aware of the fact that we're in a different market. Every The, the big money, anyhow, you know, the, the Agnicos, the Barracks, they all understand. Um, we, of 
course, have speculated on our podcast and in our newsletters that both Barrick for Midas and Agnico for Almaden are natural potential suitors. You know, I don't think the Pan American Silvers of the world, which would make a great fit for Ixtaca on the Almaden side, have the balance sheet to pull that off, nor do I believe that their board has an appetite for debt that would allow a deal like that to happen. But, you know, I I, I think Almaden would fit nicely with Agnico, but I don't want that to happen. Um, even at a hundred percent premium of today's price, you know, at two bucks a share Canadian Almaden, I would be disappointed. I remember when the stock went to five dollars on the discovery hole. I didn't have fifteen hundred dollar gold then. I didn't believe gold was going to two thousand then and three thousand in three years. I believe that now. So different times and uh, yeah, no, no Debbie Downers here, Nick. I think I think we're going to be in good hands. And again, I, I'm I'm confident in saying that this time next year we're going to look back, be able to play this podcast and say, see. Told you guys to buy a little bit of Midas. Told you guys to buy a little bit of Almaden. Um, I have a couple of other companies that I'll, I'll send a note out on Monday to subscribers of Junior Mining Monthly about. But, you know, there's 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 definitely, this is definitely the time um, to purge the portfolio, as you are doing, Mr. Hodge, of the underperformers and underachievers, to put it nicely, and replace those, you know, Take, take the hit to the ego. You know, our job isn't to feel good about ourselves. Our job is to help make people money. And we all make bad picks and picks that don't work out. Markets go against us. That's happened in the past three years. A couple of winners, a lot of losers on my end. That's about to turn. Um, and so it's time to get rid of some of the, 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 the companies that have decided not to participate in this new bull market and replace it with young, hungry, aggressive companies that are going to give us a shot at goal. Mm, I'm starving. I like it. I like it. So that's my brief... Uh, Beaver Creek recap. What else? You know, everybody, everybody was there. You were missed. Everybody asked about you. You know, it's uh, we're coming into an election year. I know you wanted to talk about the debates. We'll get into that here in just a little bit. But you know, it was interesting having dinner with uh, you know <laughs> the, the 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 mining gentlemen of the conference. Um, that that that's always a fun time. Talking politics is always frowned upon. I like to engage. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to exchange ideas. I like to see who the delicate flowers are and who actually, you know, just has an idea they want to share and, and debate a little bit. So that was, that was a good time. I enjoyed that. Um, a lot of good things going on. Good. Who did you have dinner with? Uh, I, well, <laughs> so here's the conundrum, right? I can either share with you who I had dinner with, or I can share with you the conversation. I can't do both um, because it was an off-the-record off dinner and an off-the-record conversation that was spirited. I'd rather the, I'd rather the conversation. All right, so I go into the, you, you know, my wife flew out for a day and a half, and we got to hang out, and it always makes the traveling a whole lot easier when you're gone for almost a whole week, right, away from the kids, away from the wife, and so we got to hang out for a couple of days, and then she flew back. So Thursday evening, you know, I'm wandering around, and you know, I didn't want to do the bar scene at at, at the main hotel, so I decided to go back to my hotel. I always stay down the mountain um, and try to kind of isolate myself and go have a private dinner. So I walk in and there's one, two, three, there's six gentlemen and an IR woman there having dinner and say, hey, Gerardo, do, 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 come over, have dinner. Where are you going? Who are you with? Nah, I'm by myself. You know, I'm just going to grab some dinner and a drink. Well, come on over, sit down with us. So anyway, we sit down and we start talking markets. And of course, you know, there are four or five margaritas in. So immediately the conversation turns into, and, and Gerardo here is, you know, first generation Mexican-American, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I'm always good fodder for that. I always, you know, I, I, I like the conversations and, oh, really? And, you know, we get into the usual, what part, where, where's your family from and what part of Mexico? And 
you know, the usual superficial conversation. Oh, Zacatecas. Oh, yeah, rich silver mines, big silver mining town. Great place, blah, blah, blah. Hey, what do you think of President Trump, right? And, and so, and that's where the fun really begins because I am so tired of talking about candidates. And this is exactly what I told these fine folks. I said, what, what part of President Trump? President Trump is a person with many policies and opinions. And if you're asking me, what do I think of him as a person? I, I frankly think he's a piece of shit of a person. Uh, but if you're asking me about specific policy ideas, well, I have different opinions there. I can separate, you know, the person from the policy, right? Uh, on China, I think he's 100% correct. I think China's been eating our breakfast for decades on end. And I think it was about time that somebody actually negotiated in a serious fashion, brought them to the table. And let's see if we're able to, to actually get some concessions um, from them. But it, it was absolutely time. This is a critical time, I think, in America's um, you know standing as the leader of the free world. If we're going to continue that in the next decade, um, things have to change in regards to our IP and what we allow China to. Um, frankly, to steal from us. So, you know, that was my, my comment to them was, well, look, if you're talking about um, policy, well, pick a policy. If we're talking China. I think, I, I, think, I think that's the right approach. Let's see if you can get some results. If we're talking about immigration, everybody that listens to this podcast knows, I think, I think this administration is pimping kids, you know? And so immediately, um, you know, a gentleman says, well, don't you think it's the government's job to protect you? I said, fuck, no, it's not the government's job to protect me. If you come onto my property, there's guns. I'll protect me, right? We'll protect each other. It's the government's job to provide rule of law. It's the government's job to be transparent. It's the government's job to be fiscally responsible with the tax dollars that we provide it. It's not the government's job to put kids in cages and charge $750 a day for those kids in cages and then not allow women to have what they need to go through a proper menstrual cycle. And, 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 and again, to go further, and I don't want to go too, too much further into it because we've done that a lot in this podcast. You know, if, if you're going to do all that and then give the $750 in taxpayer money to private contractors that you're invested in, that should be criminal. So if you're asking me how I feel about that, I think that's, that's a shit show of a policy. And I think it's, it's, it's not borderline criminal. I think it should be absolutely criminal. So this was the tone of the conversation for... Um, I would say a good 45 minutes to an hour. It was back and forth. Oh, well, what do you feel about this? It's almost like, cool, the Mexican-American kid that isn't shy on giving his opinions is here. Let's see what he thinks about everything. And and you, we've had these conversations. Like, I'm not shy about sharing my opinion. So it led to a pretty uh, pretty spirited debate that ended, um, I, I, I think, cordially with handshakes and you know, nice chatting with you and your margaritas and cool. Can't wait to see you guys next time and pick up the conversation where we left off. But that was kind of the back and the forth, you know, and, and, and that's kind of where we're at. I think that's where we're at as a country. No, very interesting. Yeah. I, I don't really have a follow-up to that except that the yeah, debates. people, the debates. Yeah. Well, some, talk the debates. I was, yeah. was going to pivot there, but some people are tired of talking about it. So I got my hair cut yesterday and making small talk with uh, the woman cutting my hair. <laughs> And, and, and uh, you know, what are you doing tonight? Whatever, whatever. I got to work till eight. She says, I hope the game comes on. And she's talking about the Thursday night football game. And yeah. I say, Cause it comes on at five o'clock here because it's eight o'clock on the East Coast. And the same with the debates. And I said, oh, well, I'm looking forward to uh, the debates because I'm not going to watch football, but I'm going to watch the debate or at least tune in for a little bit. And she rolls her eyes. I see, look up in the mirror and she rolls her eyes and sticks her tongue out with a black face. And she says, Oh, it sounds so boring. So you have that contingent of people that are just like, 
so fed up with the politics and the, like you say, what do you think about this candidate, this candidate, this whatever, that they just don't even want to want to hear it. And then you, you tune into the debate and you hear some of some of the ideas. And God, there's so much running through my head when I watch that thing, some of which is going to be broken record stuff. But <laughs> um, like Biden, let's talk about Biden for a second. This guy is senile. Grandpa, um, Grandpa I, Joe? I don't know how else to put that. Um, one thing I saw last night that got a little bit of play on Twitter was when Julian Castro asked him, outright asked him, because he contradicted himself so many times. Explain Joe, yourself. You, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he said, did you forget what you just said two minutes ago? Julian Castro asked him, Joe, did you forget what you said two minutes ago? And then this is what really riled me up. And this is the riled up part of the, riled up part of the podcast today. Is then I watched the analysis afterwards. Yep. And what are like lead Democrats saying? Oh, that was disrespectful of Julian Castro. How that dare the Mexican-American candidate question the old guard? Right. That was underhanded. He didn't have to take it there. It seemed childish. And, and there was one commentator. I, I don't know all the commentators' names. Sorry. There was one commentator, a black female, who said, you know, y'all are crazy because this is a presidential debate. And do you think, like, Trump is going to go light on Biden when he's up there forgetting stuff and 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 saying the wrong word. And that's 100 percent the correct message. And that's what Julian Castro was saying. This is a debate. You know, if, if Joe Biden is saying you got to everyone is going to be covered under his Medicare policy or his his, his uh, health care policy one minute. And then two minutes later, he's saying you got to opt in. Is that who you want leading the the free world? Is that who you want with their thumb on the button of the, the nuclear um, uh, codes and, and, the, and the launch sequences and things like that. And I'm just thinking to myself and I'm watching kind of casually because I'm taking care of the kids a bit and we were having dinner. But every time he talked, every time Joe Biden opened his mouth, he forgot something or he said the wrong word. Back when I was councilman or, or, or congressman, um, the <laughs> senator to my left or, or, or the congressman to my left, he doesn't know he's not there. This man can't be president. And that has to be in, and that just has to be said. Um, and then from there, I don't, I don't even know what else to say. There's no quality candidates on that side. I mean, I've talked a bit about Buttigieg and Yang, and I fancy myself uh, not a policy wonk or a nerd, but certainly have always paid attention to politics and watch all the debates. And I'm yep. listening to these people, and nothing is resonating, right? The only thing that gets applause is when they say you're going to get something for free. <laughs> and and then so they turn just to that. Like Bernie is up there like, we're going to cancel your debt. Oh, <laughs> everybody should be as angry as Bernie. <laughs> and if you're lucky, we'll bring the cocaine. <laughs> and so I'm watching this thing and I'm just disarrayed as America has to be because I'm not hearing any sound proposals. People are talking over each other. Anyway, it's a shit show to echo what we said last week. Unless something happens fast, man. Trump is a two-termer, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because then hopefully we do swing back to somewhere where we can get something done in the mid-2020s, which is when this whole fourth-turning thing is going to come to a head and we get our younger candidate, but I'm not seeing it in 2020. And, and, and to tie it all in, I think this is what left up. Not almost. I think everybody but uh, the IR person was, was was surprised at the end. They go, so so who do you think is going to win? Two, you know, by this, but at this point, they're a little pissed off at me, right? And then and maybe not pissed off, a little annoyed at, at, at the transparency of my opinions, right? So so who do you think is going to win in 2020? You think it's going to be Beto? You think it's going to be Joe Biden? I said, no, I think it's going to be Trump. <laughs> so 
I'm sure they walked away. Not This is the first time most of these people had ever met me, not knowing what the heck just happened with that conversation, right? And, and, and I think it just goes back to the way that we typically have conversations in this country. Um, people pick people. People pick personalities. People vote personalities. People pick entertainment. That's okay if it's a movie that you choose to watch or an album that you choose to listen to or a piece of um, literature that you read or a painting that you buy. It's not okay, people, if we're choosing and selecting people to write laws that affect all of us. Um, <laughs> that That's not the right approach. We should be talking about the exact same thing you just mentioned, Nick. Policy, ideas, the best amongst them. Then we can get to the, 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 the character of the person because obviously what Trump and all of his character isn't the most important thing and obviously policy isn't either. Um, so we better figure that out but I think you're right. You know, I think right now the way it looks, it looks like Trump gets a second term. I think all hell breaks loose um, and I think that is the kind of stuff and the kind of energy that turnings usually need and bring and so it's going to be volatile, folks. That's all I have What's on that next? front. What's next? Let's talk about gold technical levels. You touched the, uh, you touched on it a little bit in your newsletter. Um, you want to take it away and kind of tell people where you see the bottom in gold on this uh, on this move down. Did I do that? Um, sure. I think that <laughs> we're you know it could go below fourteen hundred as we said at the at the top of the hour. If I look at a chart and I and I pull it back for a year and I just do some rudimentary technical stuff with it, which again I'm not a technician. I will always tell you that. Gold can pull back to, let me draw a line here, like 1386, Six is what you let's said. call it. There you go. 1386. I mean, yeah, because that's like the floor where it was. It seems like that was so long ago. July 1st, it was at 1386. And then if you remember, it bounced around in a range between there and like, I don't know, 1425, 1423, call it. And so there is support there. And that's like 80 to $100 down. And so even if it gets there, there's support. And the, the bull market trend line is is still intact, and and there's there's not much keeping it from one bouncing back up to to 1550 with strength. But then if you pull the chart back further, there's not a lot keeping it from going incredibly higher after that. Like once it gets to 1600, like 1800 is like a is like a hop skip and a jump away. And so um, those are sort of the technical levels that I'm seeing, and and I think you'll see them you'll see them tested as it's a battle, right? It's always a battle, a battle between interest rates, a battle between governments, a battle between markets, a battle of capital for for yield and gain. And and that's what makes this thing fun. But anyway, those are the those are the levels I'm seeing. Agreed. And that that's exactly what you said in the most recent issue of your Wall Street's underground profits, which subscribers like myself received today. I read it on the plane on the way here and I couldn't agree more. I'll add this. I think and I said it already, but let me say it again. The moves are going to happen quicker, people. Um, it's not going to take a long time to reach down below 1400 and then do not be surprised if you get a slingshot move higher. That makes you go, why the heck did I sell out of my positions? Here I am at the end of October with $1,600 gold. I absolutely think $1,600 gold and $20 silver is in the cards. If if not by the end of October, definitely by year end. Um, it's not a coincidence that silver, which I've been hesitant to call, you know, um, ready for prime time, if you want to put it that way. Gold was down uh, seven tenths of a percent today. Silver was down 3.6%, right? So the moves are getting exaggerated. Um, the volatility is going to increase. 
And, oh, man, it's going to be a fun fourth quarter, Nick. That's all I got to say on that front. And just a quick note, uh, and and I'm no expert on PGEs by by any mean, but I've been seeing them pop up on my radar, and my spidey senses are going off about this palladium and rhodium stuff. One of the reasons I wrote a little bit about Sabanier this month, but pay attention to them, or, or starter, put them on your radar. I like it. I like it. Um, I just want to say two quick things on, on a little bit of a sadder note. You know, one um bob moriarty's wife of of i believe nearly three decades um passed recently so i just you know barbara i I saw that yeah so condolences there uh to bob and and then the family and everybody um you know i've been with my wife for 18 years love her to death um she's my better smarter prettier funner half um and i cannot imagine um, a world without her. So condolences there. And then, you know, on, 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 on a less personal note, obviously, T. Boone Pickens passed away. You know, this is a guy that, um, a walking contradiction, right? This is, the guy was an oil man and a renewables advocate, right? This is a guy that could chew chew gum and walk at the same time. Um, he, he could have two ideas, one that made him a lot of money and two, um, one that, you know, allowed him to channel some of that money into the future. And so, uh, he passed away, 91 years old. We should all be so lucky. Um, you know, I, I remember seeing a, 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 I don't want to say a performance, but he was on a show last year with uh, Tony Robbins. And I mean, it, it was amazing to me that at 90 last year, he was so lucid and clear um, and, and clearly of sound mind. So, you know, rest in peace to T. Boone Pickens as well. Um, definitely somebody that not only made a boatload of money, but was extremely generous with that money. And so, you know, there's communities all across Texas and Oklahoma that have benefited immensely from, um, you know, his business acumen and savvy. He made a lot of donations to um, the University of uh, Texas and was a giant in the energy space. Um, And I can talk about him for a second because we don't have to talk about my introduction to this market with renewables again, but when <laughs> I was when I was first doing this stuff, T. Boone Pickens was big because he had this thing called the Pickens Plan. Well, he was big for a couple of reasons. Obviously, he was an oil tycoon, but um, he was preaching about peak oil back in the mid-2000s when not a lot of other people uh, were talking about it and, and why oil prices had to, to rise and, and stay high. Um He's he was big on the on the water thing, buying up large, large swaths of land in in Texas and other states that sat atop aquifers because he saw the writing on the wall for the the global water crisis. And then he had that that Pickens plan thing, where, as you say, it was pro renewable, pro wind, in fact, where we were going to use um, a wind in the Midwest to, to offset our carbons. And so I had a chance to hear him speak a, a couple of times when I was younger, and I did a couple of newsletter promotions based off of his ideas. So sad to see Titans fall part of the fourth turning when you see, um, right, heroes like that yep. fall as the four generations later got to rise up to supplant them. And that's um, sort of what we're going through now. And then on Barbara's side with, with Bob, I had lunch with them. Um, once in, in Los Angeles, and, and as he wrote, she was the brains behind that website. So best of, of luck to him, and, and certainly condolences. Yeah, I, I remember when uh, when when we purchased Resource Stock Digest and relaunched that, um, and I launched my newsletter at the time. It was Resource Stock Digest Premium, now Junior Mining Monthly. Um, he sent a note, and and, and Bob isn't somebody that I I, I, I knew, you know, uh, on on a very personal level. But he took the time to say, send a note out, and he said, uh, I think the timing of this is genius, 
right? And of course, you know, it turned out to be that that the timing was great on the business from a business uh, perspective because we we've we've done well and we've told some quality stories through the site um, and made some great relationships. But they, it wasn't genius in the sense that you know it was a head fake in in the in the gold space in the precious metal space, and then we had a couple of years um, of humble pie. But I just thought that him taking the time to write a note to a relatively young guy that was going to be in the same space, also in the U.S., also, you know, looking to tell the story of resource companies, quality companies in the space. Um, I thought it was generous and I thought it spoke to the the, the character of them. I was just going to say it shows character for sure. Absolutely. And I think that's the two things we can agree on that Mr. Pickens and both (laughs) and Mr. Moriarty uh, shared. They each had character. They 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 don't they don't make people like that anymore. You know, T Boone Pickens is a, a kid of the Depression, right? The Great Depression, and that's where he 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 really learned the value of a dollar. There's a story, and I'll put the link up to it um, on the podcast here of of you know him him leaving his lights on after leaving a room a couple of times, and so his mom would hand him the electric bill and say, "Here, boy, you go pay it." You're wrong about one thing, Gerardo. They do make them like that anymore. We just got to get these current middle-aged clowns off the stage and let the younger ones come of age and and, then take the reins i like it i like it i'm I'm an optimist by nature i'm going i'm I'm rolling with you on this one nick i'm 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 in the car quick question for you has nothing to do with anything have you watched the Chappelle special yet i have watched it sticks and stones sticks and stones he talks about jesse juicy smolier the great frenchman All right, so I'm going to recommend another one to you along the same spirit. Very similar in tone, very similar in content, and very similar in I don't care who amongst you doesn't like it. I think it's funny. You have to see the new Bill Burr special. I'll check it. Is it on Netflix? Yep. (laughs) Those two, I think, are leading the way. Um for the future of comedy, at least in this environment, you know, they, 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 they tow that fine line where frankly, they say things that I don't think very many people could get away with, but they do it in a way that's so hilarious that you have to laugh, man. I mean, this guy, Chappelle, <laughs> I mean, he was talking about me too and defending other uh, comedians that had exposed themselves in Jack in front of other people talking about, well, you could have just left the room. You didn't have to stay there. And it was his room. <laughs> With Michael Jackson staring at little boys' assholes. I mean, this was was some comedy gold, folks. Again, delicate flowers amongst you. I don't recommend it. If you have a sense of humor, um, you're not going to see very many other people tackling the issues that Chappelle and Bill Burr tackle in their respective specials. So eh, the weekend's coming up. You guys all know we record this on a Friday. Give it a go if you want to get a good laugh. Um, Really, really good stuff. So. You got me to watch this TV this week, Gerardo. I got two things in the Bay and Chappelle. It's like uh, it's a record. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Let's talk drilling asteroids. This is going to be Nick's insightful, intelligent, informative, maybe positive story for the day. Give it to me, Nick. It's going to be positive, and it's not about drilling asteroids in space because that's as nonsense as solar roads are. We ain't mining anything in space. <laughs> folks. If you start reading articles about that, I think I've said it before, but with gold at 1500, I've seen them popping up again. Oh, there's gold in the asteroids. We're going to go get it. No, you're not. Stop it. 
you don't have enough money to get the, 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 the rocket ship up there, to get the payload back, the costs aren't there. Try doing a feasibility study on an asteroid, you assholes. You're not mining them <laughs> anyway. And even if we had the no. money, the aliens wouldn't let us. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so take that. Anyway, that, that's not what this is about. This is about drilling the asteroid that hit Earth, that killed the dinosaurs, that sent us into an ice age under which the Earth was 30 degrees cooler for decades. You know this asteroid, right? It's the one that, that killed the, the dinosaurs that God put here. Yep. Um, anyway, it's off the coast of Mexico, and they're drilling it just like they would drill uh, deep porphyry or like they would drill for oil. And so um, – you should look it up, Gerardo, because the gentleman who's leading the project is from the University of Texas at Austin. And so what they're doing is they're drilling through the rock. I mean, think about it. Just like you were drilling for any resource, they're going through the, the crust and down through the layers. And as they're pulling out the core, they're, they can see in real time like what they're going through, just like any good geologist can. And so they know like the upper layers weren't the asteroid because they can see that those rocks took geologic time scales to form like millions of years to form. But then they get into the asteroid and they can tell that this, these layers of rock were deposited in minutes. Like the day it mm. hit earth drove through the seafloor, drove through the sea, made a crater. And then that rock from the asteroid, you know, went down hundreds of feet into the earth's crust. And that's what they're drilling off the, the coast of Mexico to get data on data on, all kind of stuff. Um, you know, what was the impact like? What was actually in this rock? How can we benefit from this as humanity? How can we learn about what that asteroid did to the climate and and weather patterns after it hit and the temperature of the Earth? And so it was just one of the most fascinating articles I read this week. It was on the Wall Street Journal. I'll post a link. Um, I'm clearly not a scientist, but I'm fascinated in stuff like this. And so if we can drill into an asteroid that hit the Earth millions of years ago and learn more about previous species and evolution and mass extinction events, I think that stuff's fascinating. So I just wanted to bring it to your attention. And I just used the Google really quick. This is really, really fascinating. Let me read a little bit. Um, it, it, here's some quotes from the article, and I'll post a link of it. It says, most of the material that filled the crater within hours of impact was produced at the impact site or was swept in by seawater pouring back into the crater from the surrounding Gulf of Mexico. Just one day, imagine this, just one day deposited about 425 feet of material, a rate that's, am that's among the highest ever encountered in the geologic record. It also says that the breakneck rate of accumulation means that the rocks record what was happening in the environment within and around the crater in the minutes and hours after impact and obviously it gives us clues about the longer lasting effects of the impact that wiped out 75 percent of life on the planet here's the part that just scanning through this really quick um is absolutely mind-blowing <laughs> researchers crazy, right? this is crazy researchers yeah. estimate that the asteroid hit with the equivalent power of 10 billion atomic bombs of the size used in World War II. Think about that for a second. 10 billion atomic bombs. All at you know, one impact. That's absolutely bonkers. Bonkers. You yeah, need many, fascinating many, 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 many Anola gays to drop those bombs. That is... <laughs> That, yeah, that's mind blowing. That's, that's fascinating stuff. I told you guys it would be insightful. That's uh, that's why he's Nick Hodge. It's just like tree rings, except for the entire Earth and millions of years ago. So fascinating stuff.
Fascinating stuff indeed. What else do we have, Nick? I want to ask you about something actually before you 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 share with me whatever else you want to talk about. Um, I want to ask you if you believe cannabis stocks, pot stocks are at a bottom because I, I you made a comment um, in in one of your newsletters this week saying, hey, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not an expert in pot stocks. I can recommend one to you. However, um, I, 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 you obviously are good at um, picking bottoms and picking tops. You've done it multiple times, and you believe that there may be an opportunity. Is is kind of the way that I read that. I think so. Um, just look at the charts of the big ones of Canopy Growth and of Aurora, and you'll see that um, in Canopy Growth's instance, it's bouncing off of where it bounced off of uh, in late 2018 and mid 2018 at the $32 levels. Each of those times, it ran back to over $60. And so, ebbs and flows, cycles that's what economics and finance is all about. It's all cyclical. And um, you're coming into a collection, uh, yeah, collection year. I'm Joe Biden now. You're coming into an election year, and you're starting to hear people talk more, more about cannabis. Kamala Harris last night was talking about how she's reversed her stance and is um, now for the the legalization of weed. And we heard Joe Biden say last night that it shouldn't be criminal, but he he still wants to make it a misdemeanor, and he's wrong. It should be legal. But anyway, they're talking about it, and I still continue to think Trump is going to talk about it. Um, as a way to get more uh, independent libertarian votes headed into the general election. All that notwithstanding, you still have the, the U.S. that needs to legalize. And um, there's not a lot of good places out there to, to put money, as we've been discussing. And so you have this ripe sector, end of prohibition. Stocks have pulled back dramatically. They're starting to figure out the whole scale thing, disease thing, temperature, whatever that they couldn't do in one greenhouse that they now have to do over millions of feet. That's all getting figured out. Markets are maturing. Um, I'm, I'm giving you verbal diarrhea, but the answer is yes. I think they're at a, at least in a, a short-term bottom and there's a chance here for profit in the quality names like uh, Hexo and Canopy and Aurora. There you go, guys. You got three cannabis names. You got a gold name from me and Midas Gold. Um getting your bizarro world money's worth people what can i tell you <laughs> nick anything else that you want to talk about we had purdue pharma on the list um you know how i feel about those assholes i i i, I you and i haven't chatted about why it's on the list uh because i just got in right before we started this podcast but i i, I sense that it's in regards to the new york times article that showed these assholes were wiring a billion dollars plus um in the days prior to the settlement correct well, it's that they've agreed to a, a, a settlement that would see a payout three billion dollars and and not admit guilt, which is just in typical fashion. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about twelve billion dollars, and and here we are a couple of weeks later talking about about three billion dollars, and that's why I wanted to to just mention it for a bit. I mean, it goes. Um, nowhere into holding them accountable. It goes nowhere into making them forfeit all of their ill-gotten gains. Um, yeah, no, just uh, something to, to pay attention with. It says here under the deal, the Sackler family would pay $3 billion in cash over seven years and does not include an admission of wrongdoing because, of course, not. Why would it? Yeah, so I'm 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 guessing that uh, you haven't seen the new article that just hit about 45 minutes ago, saying that the Sackler shifted a billion dollars to trust and Swiss accounts. So not only do these sick fucks get away with killing thousands, tens of thousands of people 
in our country, right? This is the country where I got dumbasses like Tommy Lauren on fucking TV talking about, you know, we, we got to defend ourselves because we may need to shoot immigrants, right? But yet these assholes are, are shifting billions of dollars um, right before they get away scot-free for murdering people. That, 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 that's what they did. They didn't, you know... It, they knew where every pill was going. They knew who it was going to. They knew there were counties where people were getting, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 pills a day. They did nothing. They alerted nobody um, because of the money coming in. They used that same money to pay the fine that keeps them out of prison. And just to add insult to injury, they shift the money around to make sure that, you know, the, the, the regulators or whoever they're agreeing to this deal with don't end up with the bulk of it. Um, sick shit, people. Be mad at that. I, I want to see Tommy yeah. Lauren talking about shooting them. Yeah, be mad at that is right. Yeah. Again, I'm not encouraging that you do shoot them. I'm just saying the, the, the anger should be proportionate. Agreed. All right. Last thing I'm going to talk about, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Um, let's end with Bitcoin. Boring, right? This reminds me of gold three months ago when I, I, I started the podcast and I said, gold, is it going anywhere? And you, you responded by yawning, right? <laughs> um, so um, Bitcoin is kind of in the same place right now. It feels that way. My contrarian senses are tingling a little bit. It hasn't really done anything but moved sideways for months, it seems. And I think, you know, in the crypto world, months are like years in the gold space, right? So I think we're due for a move either much higher or much lower. And I don't see much lower. What do you think? It's entirely macro. It's like the safe haven thing with, uh, we've seen markets looking for direction and we finally started to see a little bit this week with the S&P breaking out to near all time highs with, as we talked about earlier, China coming back to the table. But I agree that it's that it's time for Bitcoin to, to break out. And everything I read about the, the havening and the safe haven nature points to higher, but one thing I wanted to talk about in Bitcoin, and this isn't uh, a prediction or, or really has to do with buying and selling, but it has to do with how the market is manipulated. Now, unless you live under a rock, you know that markets are manipulated in various ways. Um, whatever, wash trades, trading higher with your buddies, outright false reports, pump and dumps, falsification of financials. There's a million ways to, to ma manipulate a stock, uh, but Bitcoin is not stock and so i was reading this article this week about um how the crypto markets are manipulated and i just found it fascinating and it's perfect bizarro world stuff <laughs> a couple of weeks ago we talked about demolition man and it was a very meta conversation because we were talking about how biometric locks could now be hacked um or opened through hacking where you steal the the biometric information and so you can reproduce what someone's uh retina looks like or what someone's fingerprint looks like to open up those safety features well in in bitcoin listen to this this is how they're they're trying to manipulate it it's through like search algorithms and google because everybody like googles to find the bitcoin price or they use algorithms that take that google data as a part of the information that they trade on how many people are googling bitcoin are they googling bitcoin are they googling btc are they googling um bitcoin price and so i'm getting to the point the way oh, people are trying yeah, yeah. the way the way people are trying to manipulate bitcoin is by manipulating search by manipulating search engines they are creating not trading algorithms 
but algorithms that search for BTC over and over and over. So when somebody's trading algorithm does look for the Google activity, the trading algorithm looks at the Google activity and it says, hmm, whatever it is, nobody's Google at BTC today or 100 million people are Google at BTC today. Maybe, you know, that's going to that precedes a move in volume and people are Google at BTC because they're going to buy. And so I know I'm not articulating that well. But the crypto market or the crypto whales are manipulating search data in order to manipulate trading algorithms. Have I gotten that, that across? The manipulators are manipulating the thing that helps drive the manipulated thing. <laughs> did, did I get all that? Yes. Yes. It's like negative rates. Yes. It's a bizarro world, everybody. That, 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 that's all I got for this week. Um, it, it, it truly is getting crazier by the day out there. Hopefully... Um, we can share a couple of ideas with you that make you a little bit of money or at the very least uh, pique your curiosity a little bit and help with your due diligence process and maybe even share a story or an opinion or two um, that engages, um, you know, the, the the cool part of your brain that, that, that has thoughts from time to time. So that's all I got, Mr. Hodge. Anything else? No, that's it. We're heading into the final quarter of the year. It has flown by. I think it's going to be exciting. As you say, it's things going to happen fast. So buckle up and pay attention. I agree. Episode 36, Bizarro World, everybody. Thanks. See ya.